Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast and also for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. Connor got the knocked the fuck out. I guess we might as well start off with a bang there. Uh, yeah, let's recap some sports. Maybe this episode we'll talk about whatever. But first and foremost, Conor McGregor got knocked the fuck out. Second round, Dustin Poirier avenged the loss from, what, six years ago. Came back, starched Conor. Um, in what was an interesting kind of fight to both watch and kind of break down and analyze. Um, but nonetheless, Conor McGregor lost. Uh, Dustin Poirier hit him, connected, battered him, finished him, left him there laying on the ground. Uh, first time Conor's been knocked out in the UFC. Both of his previous losses in the UFC were by submission. Uh, you know, and, and that was always the thing is, oh, Conor's hands, Conor's boxing. People are beating him, have submitted him. This wasn't the case. Poirier came out, outstruck him and uh finished the job and why i say it was an interesting fight to both watch and break down and analyze was the commentary um regarding the fight was a little interesting uh i felt and i've talked about this before on the podcast narratives can oftentimes make the experience and the narrative i felt as i was watching the fight was a little different than what i was actually watching to me, when I was listening to the narrative and the commentary, I felt you would have felt like, oh my God, Dustin Poirier took it to Connor. Connor was never in it. Um, it was the Dustin Poirier show. Far from it, actually. Uh, and yes, Dustin Poirier landed a takedown in the first round, landed some big shots. Um, his striking, his key to his striking says in the first half was more so his leg kicks, in my opinion, in the first round than his hands. Um, but I felt overall in the striking department, Connor was getting the better of the exchanges, was controlling the striking, was outstriking Dustin Poirier. And it kind of just seemed like in a matter of seconds there, a switch was flipped. All of a sudden, Poirier lands a big shot. Connor was hurt. Um, and then Connor was finished. A lot of things could be said. Was it, you know, ring rust? Was it, you know, maybe it was the delay, you know, the time off? Maybe it was there wasn't the crowd to feed off of. I mean, Connor's used to fighting in front of big crowds that are so pro Connor. This was would have been the first time he's fought um, without the big mass crowd. And yes, there were some fans in attendance at Fight Island, but it wasn't the massive crowds Connor's used to fighting in front of. Could that have played a role? There's a lot of things that could have played a role into what happened. Um, but breaking it down as objectively as I can, I think what ended up happening was there was a lack of finish on Connor's part. Connor had Dustin um, on the ropes quite a few times, I felt, during the fight. Dustin responded a few times with some big shots, but Connor was dictating the pace and the striking, in my opinion. And maybe he was trying to drag it out. Maybe he was being a little more calculated. Maybe without the crowd, he was, you know, he was more focused. He was in there um, and was trying to be patient, trying to wait for the perfect opportunity, not make mistakes. And I maybe in turn. By, may, by trying to play it super cautiously, by trying to be so technically correct and so um, cerebral in his uh, approach to beating Dustin Poirier, kind of left himself open 
uh, for that shot to connect and let your opponent back in. And it's kind of something I've you know said about combat. I've said kind of about sports as a whole. Um, I often uh, say about poker, I, I often feel if you have the chance to go for the victory or go for the elimination, you have to do it. You have to take it. Because one of the best pieces of advice I ever got uh, from a friend in poker was don't ever leave your opponent around so that they have the chance to come back and bust you. And I thought, fuck. And then, and in that same event, it was actually a friend of mine who was a dealer and he was actually dealing this particular tournament at a casino. And he said, man, he's like, he fucked up there. I said, what? And he's like, you should have put them all in. He would have called. And he told me this at the break. He's like, you should, he would have called. It would have been all over for him. And that's that. He says, but watch, now he's going to come back and bust your ass. And uh, you got sloppy there. And I was like, fuck, man, why are you wishing? Why, why do you want me to lose? He's like, I don't want you to lose, but this is what happens. He's like, man, I've been dealing for decades decades i've seen it countless times before and i thought fuck and i made sure to a point i ended up winning that night um thank god but it kind of did play in my at the back of my mind like hey that's, that's some valuable advice and it was kind of the first time i'd ever heard that and i thought fuck this is true like this is this is very valid very strong advice don't fucking let them hang around and take you out and i felt like that could that is really to me the simplest most straightforward explanation of what happened connor let dustin hang out he let him stay, stick around the fight. And you didn't see that killer instinct that you one time saw from Connor. That was what was interesting, too. There wasn't that go out there, boom, land the bit, you know, set him up with the right, fire the big left, fire a kick, kick to the body, you know, that butchering, so to speak, that Connor was known for on his rise to the top. You didn't see that. You saw a guy that kind of was defending a throne that felt a little bit like, hey, there's a lot of pressure. And there was a lot of pressure. Um, whether we want to admit it or not, there was a ton of pressure on Conor McGregor. Win, and hey, he's still the superstar that he is. He's kind of bought himself a little bit of breathing room. He can kind of go on, win, you know, hopefully win back the belt. Things are looking good for Conor. Lose, and it's all over. The hype train stops. The bit being the big money fight kind of comes to an end, and we're going to get in all into that today. But a lot of pressure going on to Conor McGregor, and you can kind of see how it started to impact things. It's kind of like when I hear players and, and commentators talk about, oh, there's ICM considerations, ICM considerations, ICM considerations, all the time when they're talking about poker tournaments. And I've had that too when I've played in events where players talk about, I want to play based on ICM, I want to chop based on ICM. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I remember the first time someone brought it up to me in an event. And uh, this guy said to me, he's like, I want it. We were all talking about doing a chop. And um, the guy, first place, I think, was paying like 25 grand and change. And we asked the guy who was in first, we said, hey, would you consider a chop? And he's like, sure, I'd consider a chop. And then we're like, what, like, what do you want? And he's like, 25 grand. Like, I've got basically more, ch like, fuck, I could slaughter you guys here right now. Like, we can keep playing and... I dictate how much you make, essentially. Or, yeah, I'll give up the change, but I want my 25 fucking grand. And we had this situation here where that was what was kind of going on. And um, we were kind of all agreed with, yeah, you know what, you have earned it. You've been the chip leader. You've played very well today as the chip leader. He'd had a number of big eliminations. Never was really afraid to go big stack versus big stack. Um, was quite dominant on a day two and a closing day of a tournament. And we had one player that's like, well, we should do it based on ICM. Now, at the time, I wasn't familiar with ICM. And I know, oh, my God, say for all the poker. And I thought, whatever. 
I have my thoughts on ICM now that I've learned more about it, and that's for another episode. But nonetheless, this guy comes up and he tries to explain this. And ICM stands for independent chip model, by the way. And it looks at the value of your chips um, based on how many chips are in play, based on payouts and whatnot. It's, um, it tries to be a little mathematical and whatnot. But this guy described it in a way that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He said it's basically all things considered equal. It looks at the value of your chips. And I said, well, hold up a second. Things aren't equal because your chips in someone else's hands aren't worth the same. And then he's like, well, it's based on like position and taking into consideration position relative to other chips and all that. But it takes out the players. It just looks at the chips. And when I ended up, when we got the numbers, I could see why he was so adamant that we pushed for this ICM splint. And the big reason why he won the ICM split is he was a direct beneficiary of it. His pay actually was going to go up quite drastically. And finally, the rest of us, and he was really getting so passionate. Like, he was about ready to cry over this. Like, I just want the fair value of my chips. Well, here's the problem when you start talking fair. Fair versus equal are not interchangeable terms. And I don't necessarily know that in this case here... You're talking, oh, all things considered the same. They're not considered the same because you are, you have X amount of chips, you're in X amount of table position, but it's you that's holding that. You holding that is very different than someone else holding that. So it's what the value you have, in my opinion, is always the fairest. What do you bring? What have you done? And what can you negotiate? And uh, long story short, we ended up coming to an agreement. We did end up stopping it there. And we all arranged, reached an agreement that I think benefited everybody. Everybody, I think, got a pay jump. So it worked out quite well. Where it kind of, um, now i got to somehow tie this back uh, to the uh, Conor McGregor thing. But, um, wow, that's funny how we've gone on this tangent. I think this might be one of the first times ever on this podcast I've gone on a tangent and don't know how I'm going to wrap it back up to the main subject. Uh, well, first here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Fuck it. We're going to keep going. Anyway, uh, so that was my uh, experience with ICM and uh, tournaments and whatnot. Um, and maybe I was relating this to... Hmm. Anyway, regardless, Connor had the chance to eliminate Poirier. Didn't get it done. There's no chopping in in mixed martial arts. Um, he fucked up. Simple as that. And I don't want to get into what people have said or fighters piling on to this. I want to look at what this represents now. What what I think moving forward we have here as the case with Connor losing. Instantly, his value has dropped, and it has dropped drastically. This has been probably the sharpest decline I would imagine seeing in an athlete's value maybe since Tiger Woods' scandal era. Um, And I would argue even more so than the Tiger Woods drop in value. Tiger Woods eventually came back. He won the Masters in 2019. Like, pardon me, lest we forget. Um, so it's not like, you know, and, and Tiger had a number of other decent runs. He suffered from injury issues and whatnot. There's more to explain why maybe the value, but Tiger, the brand of Tiger Woods had taken a hit because of the scandal, but there's still tremendous value there. A lot of the value of Conor McGregor has disappeared with this loss. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether you're a Conor fan or not, we all have to admit the value of Conor McGregor and what he now brings has changed and has diminished. Conor McGregor no longer calls Conor McGregor shots. He no longer calls the UFC shots, and he no longer calls his opponents shots. Conor McGregor is in an awful, awful, awful career to, um, position. 
as a fighter. Whether it be boxing, whether it be mixed martial arts, he is in a horrible, unenviable position. Uh, this is a guy that rose to the top at such a fast pace and really leveraged it well, was backing up the talk. You know, he lost that fight to Nate Diaz and said, you know what? And said, you know, it was short notice. I was coming up two weight classes. Hey, you know, like, cut me some slack. I'm going to avenge this. Came back, avenged it, and people were willing to forgive. He beats Eddie Alvarez in the next fight and destroys him. Probably one of the most dominant lightweight title fights I've ever seen, where it just looked like, oh my God, there are, these guys are on two very different levels. Um, you had the situation here, and then he gets the Mayweather fight, looked fairly respectable in it. I mean, Mayweather did come back to win. When Mayweather took over in the fight, yeah, he was pretty dominant. Uh, but nonetheless, didn't go in there and completely embarrass himself. And I think in that term back then, maybe we were willing to falsely give Connor a little too much credit. You know, maybe we do, and maybe we're all guilty. I'm sure, you know, I know I'm guilty of it a little bit, of kind of looking to find victories in this. Fact of the matter was, he showed up to Floyd, showed up in Floyd's ring, Floyd beat his ass. Simple as that. Again, some slack was cut. We seemed to forgive and forget. He can't, you know, he leaves. Then all of a sudden, things start to kind of spiral. He comes out with the whiskey, the proper 12. Um, you know, he had made a ton of money with uh, the Mayweather fight. Uh, it just became, you know, Connor had become a global brand. And at the time, and, ar- and not even arguably, at the time, he had probably, he was the biggest brand in, 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 in combat sports. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether it was deserved or not, he was. Conor McGregor had transcended combat sports. He had truly, with the showing against Mayweather, being the first champ champ in UFC history, had truly become the draw. He was the A-side now of every single fight that he was ever going to be in, whether it be UFC, whether it be boxing. Um, I don't know if he had translated to kickboxing, but I think career-wise that would have been... A fairly significant step back. Um, it would have been a, a, a bit of a, fair, uh, a significant step back, just because the money and wasn't isn't there, and I think the the risk versus reward wouldn't have been there to go over to Glory, for instance, and fight one of those guys. Secondly, I think too, those guys are on a very different level of overall striking. I think any guy, any mid range person at Glory would have fucked Connor up. Period. Um, it would have been a horrible, horrible night and would have destroyed his brand. Um, there was some talk with Bare Knuckle FC as they've kind of gotten bigger and trying to bring in some names. Could Connor go over there? Maybe that is where he goes now. But at the time they were talking this, no, again, they they don't have the money. They weren't going to bring in the money to bring in a Connor McGregor. So again, risk is too high. Does he go in there and lose to some bare knuckle boxing thug, get his ass handed to him, and then try to get, you know, and then you know, try to, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really my sport and have to come back. Problem is, the last few years have been a lot of that for Connor. A lot of that, had, a lot of the last few years have been go, lose, and try and rebuild. Yes, we can make the excuse he was distracted and all these things, but again, excuses only serve the person who fucking makes them. An excuse does nothing for me. If you're giving me an excuse... What the fuck does it do? I had something I needed done. You didn't do it. That's my reality. Your reality is whatever you're trying to paint it as with your excuse. And that's reality in general when it comes to excuse making. And Connor was starting to have a few too many excuses in my opinion. 
looking back on this. Oh, yeah, the and some of you were talking about that. The Khabib fight was the first time Connor showed up to a fight and wasn't talking about fighting, wasn't talking about what he was going to do to his opponent, how he was going to mess his opponent up. Instead, it was, oh, proper 12 this, proper 12 that, proper 12 is a partner at the UFC. I'm bigger than all of this. I want co-promotion. I want ownership. I want equity. I want this. Now, all of a sudden, fast forward a couple of years, Connor's going to be basically saying, I still want a job. And yes, the guy's made life-changing amounts of money. The guy financially is set. I'm not going to, you know, we can't take away what he has accomplished. We can't take away what he has earned. I'm not going to take away what his, his whiskey is. I really enjoy Proper 12 Irish whiskey. It's nice. It's smooth. It's mellow. It's got a good flavor. It's a great introduction to Irish whiskeys. And I've, and I've said before on the show, Irish whiskeys are probably, in the grand scheme of whiskeys, my favorite. Overall, I hear an Irish whiskey is being served. I get excited. Um, I can appreciate a bourbon, hence why I'm the bourbon appreciating um, poker playing guitarist. But um, Irish whiskeys are my favorite. Again, I can always appreciate a bourbon because uh, bourbon is a bit more of an acquired taste. A lot of people don't like bourbon. But yes, and Proper 12 fits in there. It's a great... Is it, gonna, is it a Red Breast 12? Nope. Is it the Irishman? Nope. Not even close, but it's a good um, kind of entry-level Irish whiskey. It's delicious. It's a good time. If someone shows up and gets me a bottle of a proper 12, I am very happy with that as a present. So does he have this big empire in terms of whiskey? Absolutely, that he can grow on, that he can build this. Maybe it's time that he steps away and he's just Conor McGregor, former fighter, now whiskey guy comes out with another one. I'd love to try the next one if he came out with another kind of edition of Proper 12. I'd love to try it. I'm a big whiskey fan. I'm not going to hold the fact that he's getting his ass handed to him when he fights against him when it comes to whiskey making. But reality is reality. Conor McGregor, in his last number of fights, has a losing record. Conor McGregor showed up and got beaten by Khabib. Yeah, he took a round from Khabib. You know, especially after he got knocked down. I think it was the third round he took from Khabib. Yeah, and he looked good in that third round. But then, again, the excuses come in. Oh, I wasn't training hard. I wasn't at my best. I need to do this. I need to do that. Why didn't you just do that? Like, why would you show up to a beat-the-fuck-out-of-each-other contest with excuses rather than preparation? I know when I've, when I've done that in poker, Shona, ah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have played today. Ah, you know what? I wasn't feeling it. Then why the fuck did you show up? So you showed up to not win and make excuses, basically. Snap out of it, dude. You're better than that. And yes, yeah, so as hard as I am maybe on Conor McGregor or anybody else, I'm just as hard on myself. If I fuck up dinner, or it's not up to my standards. And yes, there's many times I serve dinner and I'm like, hey, how was that? Oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. And I taste it. I'm like, eh, it could have been better. I'm the first one to criticize my own ability, my own product, whatever it is. So it's not like I sit here from my ivory tower of I do everything perfectly. Far from it. But that's that's how you grow. And Conor McGregor right now has to sit back and, and, and really look at what those options are for him. Nobody will begrudge him if he decides to step away and say, you know what? Fuck it. I do have one foot out the door. And, and that's often Dana White says it all the time. If you got one foot out the door, get out. This is not the sport for you. 
Too many times a, a fighter has shown up one foot out the door and let their legacy get tarnished. I often felt when when Daniel Cormier was going in for the trilogy fight with Stipe Miocic, he had three quarters of his body out the door. And it showed in that last fight. Yeah, he had some decent moments in it, but Stipe took it to him that fight and just beat on him. Just beat on him for that fight. Just showed up and beat his ass. And especially it's funny because here was Stipe, who is a firefighter, working through the pandemic and said, hey, I got shit to do. Like, I'm a first responder here. Once my once I have some time to take away from this, then yeah, I will come and whoop your ass and defend my heavyweight title. Like, don't talk to me like I owe you. I am the fucking heavyweight champion and I knocked your ass out to get the belt back. I returned the favor. In, uh, who else? Misha Tate was another good example. She, now, here was an interesting one. So Misha Tate um, versus Amanda Nunez had headlined UFC 200. And I remember seeing them at the weigh-ins. And seeing the weigh or seeing the weigh-ins. And Misha looked sick. Like, she did not look good. She looked like that weight could have beaten the shit out of her. And long story short, I think she it was actually one of those times they had to bring out the tarp and she had to actually strip off her undergarments um, to make the weight. Like, that was... she. Like, she barely got there. Amanda came in and fucked her up. Um, Amanda Nunez might very well be the greatest fighter, period, of all time. But Amanda showed up, fucked up Misha. And then Misha came back for another fight, and I want to say it might have been against Raquel Pennington, um, and got her ass handed to her. She got her ass handed to her, and then said, "You know what? I had one. You know, I had a foot out the door. I'm done. Like this. At least at that. And she stepped away, and that was that. And we haven't seen her come back. She's had a kid since. I think she might have even had two kids since. Seems to be enjoying life, um, and good for her. She rode off in the sunset. But again, now again, you take that extra fight. You know, nobody would have begrudged her if she had lost to Amanda Nunez." Nobody would have been like, oh, she was a paper champion. She lost to Amanda Nunez. No, she fucked up Holly Holm. She beat Holly Holm. And then, yeah, you lose to the greatest ever. Everybody loses to Amanda Nunez. That's reality. Uh, so nobody would have begrudged her. But then you take that extra fight, and now people start to wonder, well, how good was Misha? You know, how good really was she? Was it just a matchup versus thing versus Holly Holm? Would Holly Holm beat her, you know, eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten? And we just happened to witness the one time out of ten? coffee break there um, but it, it happens with conor mcgregor we're starting to there are a lot of questions being asked and left behind by saturday's performance his coach john kavanaugh has come out and i saw it on instagram i don't know where the interview was held but he basically he had said that this was the best conor he'd ever seen and dustin beat him and let's say let's take that at face value i don't i you know i've i've, I've long given john kavanaugh credit for his assessments of Conor McGregor's performances, better or worse. You know, I don't necessarily agree with saying, you know, letting your fighter go out there, excuses already made or whatever, but let's take it at face value and, and, and say that John Cameron is right. This was the best Conor and the best possible Conor fucked up. You have some questions to ask. Conor McGregor's not fighting for the belt anytime soon now. Like, let's, we need to move on now with the belt discussion, and it doesn't involve Conor McGregor. He's at a point now where he's probably too big of a star to go over to any other of the organizations. It just wouldn't really make sense for him or for them. In terms of the UFC, I think when he talks about, you know, going up to welterweight and challenging for a third belt, that's off the table now. I, I don't know what he would do against Kamaru Usman or Gilbert Burns. I don't know how he would do even against a Tyron Woodley. 
you know, maybe there's a, there's some big money fights lined up at welterweight that he could get. There are some potentially money fights. Again, is he commanding what he once did? No, but there's some big paydays possibly left. Maybe the winner of the Jorge Masvidal-Colby Covington um, fight. That could be, um, you know, for that BMF quote-unquote belt. That could be a fight. The two fights, though, that jump out to me right away for Conor McGregor are the rematch with Dustin Poirier. If you're Dustin Poirier, strike while the iron's hot. This next fight could very well be the last big money fight that Conor McGregor's able to provide someone. The last truly big, life-changing, career-changing amount of money that Conor McGregor brings to the table now offering an opponent. Because that's really the big draw fighting Conor. You're getting the payday. As his star diminishes, that payday diminishes. If you're Dustin Poirier, there could be interest in that third fight. A lot of people might think, hey, Connor was, you know, like myself, Connor was on the brink of finishing him. He kind of fucked up. Maybe if Connor is able to piece it together here, get focused, he can come back, avenge that. He finishes Poirier in round one of the trilogy fight. He kind of it quickly turns things around. He's not where he once was. But he's turning things around to the right track. Dustin Poirier, it's really no harm, no foul at that point. He kind of is where he is. If you're Poirier, though, and you feel confident that you can beat Connor, why not take that for your that last big money fight for yourself? You've earned it. You're the guy that went in and fucked Connor up. You put him on his ass. The ref had to stop the fight. The ref had said he got beat up enough. Why not take that? You've earned that. You've earned the opportunity to take the last of what Conor McGregor can offer from a fighting perspective in terms of those paydays. The other one that makes sense in terms of his other big potential fight would be Nate Diaz. People have been chiming in wanting that trilogy fight. Nate Diaz always is ready to talk about having that trilogy fight. There might not be a better time. Both fighters are coming off losses. Nate Diaz has been out for a while, but as I've said... An out-of-shape Diaz brother is still in better shape than probably 99% of that UFC roster. Those guys are just machines. Um, and when I've seen how they carry themselves outside of the octagon, they, they, you know, I got nothing bad to say about the Diaz brothers. I have a ton of respect for the Diaz brothers. Um, so Nate and Nick. Um, but yes, Nate Diaz would be the other one. Uh, where, you know, you get them both at 155. Probably their natural weight classes. Um, Connor was always a little big and sickly at, at 145, but maybe that was his best weight. Maybe that was his weight class. I don't know. But let's take them as natural 155ers. Connor, Nate, the trilogy fight. Everybody's going to want to see it. But here's the difference now. I think you're seeing a different tune-in factor. Kind of like a Tito Ortiz has gotten for a while. People aren't tuning in to see Tito win. They were tuning in to see Tito get his ass whooped. Same thing here with Connor. People might not be turning in to see, oh, can he beat Nate Diaz? Who's really going to win this fight? People are probably turning in to see, can Nate, is Nate Diaz going to get off the couch after how many, how much time away and whoop Connor's ass? Is he going to come in and beat some ass? Regardless, it's a big money fight for both guys. They both have the drawing power for that fight. And again, it's probably... In the event that Connor loses his next fight, that's the last big money fight he's bringing to the table for a long time, if not ever. Those are the two guys that are probably putting the, uh, the groundwork to earn it. 
I don't know that a Khabib fight draws as much anymore simply because now that Connor's lost again um, to a guy that Khabib smashed, I don't know that there's going to be that much interest in what people will perceive as another one-sided fight. Um, the, the UFC hype train tried to get behind Justin Gaethje as he had a hope and a shot. Um, but people have to remember, maybe Gaethje got lucky against Ferguson. Gaethje did get finished by Poirier um, on Poirier's rise en route to the Khabib fight. It, people could be perceiving this as a one-sided you know, a one -sided affair. I don't know that people are going to shell out pay-per-view money to see that. So I... I'm quicker to say that the Khabib fight, just from a financial standpoint, doesn't really exist. Also, from the standpoint that Khabib doesn't really seem that interested in fighting these days. Uh, he seems like he's fairly content to just take it easy. Um, and, who, you know, who can really blame the guy? What left? Uh, what does he have left to accomplish or prove to anybody? And the answer is nothing. Khabib has done it all. Um, and yeah, maybe there are some name brand fighters that he could fight still, who knows, and maybe there are some matchups for people to beat, but in terms of, you know, the win losses, the pay, you know, all of that, the money, the championships, Khabib's done it. Um, and if he, and if he's satisfied, who's anybody to take that away from him? Let him ride off into the sunset. Oh, he'll want to get to 30 and 0. I don't really know what that does for anybody other than give us something to talk about, other than give us a little statistic. For, from Khabib's standpoint, I don't know that there's anything to be gained from it. I don't know that the re reward of getting to 30-0 and 0 really is worth it when, if he's kind of got one foot out the door and could potentially, and might potentially, you know, get beaten of going 29-1 and 1 and now having to answer the questions. Therefore, Khabib, I think, is off. The, the other big money fight... Um, that could feasibly be on the table. And I guess there's two other long shot fights and I'll predict how they, and I'll say why I think they're not going to happen. First one, GSP. GSP has maintained being in great shape. Um, he's grown his hair. He has hair now, um, which is interesting to see on his Instagram. But nonetheless, GSP always lingers in the background as another potential fight. Um, that That's always one that people are willing to see GSP, arguably the GOAT. Um, I think he is. I think GSP, especially that layoff, coming back, winning the middleweight belt against Michael Bisping, um, solidifying his legacy, always held himself with class, always represented himself with class, um, fellow Canadian, hardworking guy, a true martial artist. Um, and, and that's what he always said. He always prided himself on being a martial artist and an athlete. Not a scrapper. I'm not a fighter. I'm a martial artist and an athlete. That's what I am. And I always respect that about GSP. That fight could always linger. It'll be a huge money fight. Um, again, because GSP has the drawing power. Who isn't going to tune in to see GSP? Again, it's a winnable matchup potentially for Connor um, in that he could land the big left on GSP. GSP's one knock his entire career has been his relatively suspect chin. Um, and we've seen in the past few spot strikers him just nullify their striking abilities. So that's, again, something to consider and think about in the fact that, yes, whilst GSP could be omnipresent um, as a big money fight for a number of fighters, does he want to come back? GSP seems pretty set. Um, he's made a ton of money, doesn't really seem to have any urgency or desire to fight, um, again. 
Uh, so why, why push it? So it's a long shot, but I mention it because, as always, it's always a um, possibility. Um, but very, very, very unlikely. Uh, so, again, don't know that we're going to be seeing uh, that one. The other one um, that I would say is possible... And this one I don't like for Connor at all, but it's a huge money fight. Um, arguably, you could make the you could make an argument that it's probably the biggest money fight out of all the ones I've mentioned, and that's none other than Big Big Brother Diaz, Connor McGregor at 170 versus Nick Diaz, because Nick Diaz ain't making 155, and Nick Diaz is too big of a star to ever fucking make it down, to have to make it down to weight, especially with Connor losing. Connor's not a winner right now. Connor isn't a winning brand right now. As I said at the beginning of the show, Connor ain't calling any shots. Not his own shots, not his opponent's shots, not the UFC shots, not a boxer's shots, nobody's shots. Connor McGregor is kind of at the mercy now of who's willing to step up to take that last um, big payday from him. And in turn, um, it. You know, if it is Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz has earned that um, that that payday. I mean, his career speaks for itself. The legend of Nick Diaz speaks for itself. Um, nobody can ever say Nick Diaz has ever shown up to a fight and not been prepared to fucking fight. Um, they can't say that about any Diaz brother. Um, I mean, yeah, there's been some, some question marks in the past of, hey, their hearts weren't in it. But a, a Diaz brother shows up ready to fight. Or ready to get beat up. Um, but the Diaz brothers are... Um, they're true martial artists, true athletes, true fighters. Um, and I just think... I think Nick Diaz's skill set... Um, I've long said Nick Diaz, I, I truly believe, is the better of the two Diaz brothers. And that's not a knock on, on Nathan. That's not a knock on Nate Diaz. Just Nick Diaz is arguably one of the best to ever do it. Like whether be, And I'd love to have that debate. I, I should bring on a guest... Have that debate as to where Nick Diaz stands in terms of mixed martial arts and UFC history. But I, I've always been a fan of Nick Diaz. I've always been a fan of his abilities. Um, and I think when Nick Diaz shows up, he's on a different level. Um, he's outstruck guys, outsubmitted guys. Um, it's just, it is what he does. Nick Diaz will just be too much for Conor McGregor. And it it would almost be... Um, it wouldn't even be fun to watch. Well, it depends. It depends if you want to just go see Nick Diaz fuck someone up. But... Uh, other than that, it just it wouldn't even be a, a fun fight necessarily to watch because I think it would be so one-sided. I think Nick, Nick Diaz would just be too much. The striking would be too much. His boxing is it would is too technical, too sharp. Um, the pace that he can put on and would put on against a Conor McGregor. And considering Nick Diaz has fought big, tough strikers too and beaten them. He's fought Paul Daly and knocked Paul Daly out. He's fought Robbie Lawler and knocked Robbie Lawler out. Like, lest we forget, he fought and beat the shit out of BJ Penn. Like, this isn't, this isn't a slouch here. You know, when he lost to Carlos Condit, it was the foot taps. It was the slap kicks, as he said. The slap kicks and the slap punches and the running. Finally, Nick Diaz in that fight gained some offense when he just said, fuck it, grabbed him and pulled him onto his own back and just said, fuck it, from my own back, I can whoop your ass. And it was a very different fight. GSP had to nullify every one of the D Nick Diaz's attacks. Don't let him roll you. Don't let him do this. Don't let. Don't strike with him. You know, and it was actually funny because 
There was one time where I think it was uh, Nick Diaz or uh, GSP threw a spinning heel kick and Nick Diaz threw it right back at him and was like, hey, <laughs> you think you got some tricks? I got just the exact same amount of tricks as you. So again, when he fought Anderson Silva, he played Anderson's own game with him. He turned his back to him, put his hands down, laid down the ring and said, when do you want to fucking fight? Like you want to play this game of dancing and hand, you know, pretending like you're holding mitts and all of this let's fucking let's get in here and fucking fight and i mean and he said i'm the winner of the fight here i actually showed up to fight um but anyway regardless when you think about these things nick diaz is that would uh, in my opinion probably be the biggest money fight um left for connor right now as of right now where he could be um but again it'll be a slaughtering and I don't know that Connor's going to subject himself to that. I don't think it's a fair. I don't think it's a good fight for Connor. But again, from a financial standpoint, it's his biggest one. From a career standpoint, from a brand standpoint, from a um, chances to win standpoint, it's not a fight worth taking. Um, it's also safe to say certain other fights are now removed from the table. Floyd Mayweather was very outspoken after the fight, so there's no rematch with Floyd. Let's let's just get that out in the open. He he is not fighting Floyd anytime soon anytime soon and after what we saw on saturday i don't know that he should be wanting to fight floyd for a fight standpoint other than for the paycheck and i don't think and floyd is not going to grant him that he hasn't done anything right now to be granted the floyd uh, mayweather paycheck <coughs> pardon me here just voice getting a little dry here as i get all excited but nonetheless he hasn't earned that another floyd paycheck he is not getting the Manny Pacquiao fight. That's off. I think uh, I saw some rumblings here that um, Manny Pacquiao is going to fight Ryan Garcia. Probably the biggest money non-heavyweight um, fight that could be made right now would be those two. Would be the Ryan Garcia, Floyd Mayweather. Um, maybe even, I mean, if, if Mayweather, or if, sorry, Ryan Garcia versus Manny Pacquiao uh, would be the biggest. Um, anything involving probably those three fighters, Garcia, uh mayweather and uh pacquiao would be the biggest non-heavyweight fight that could be made i think a lot of people still want to see anthony joshua versus um uh, gypsy king as he calls himself um drawing a blank here uh but uh, nonetheless um those would be the big money uh, heavyweight fights but uh regardless Connor's taking himself out of that equation. Right now, the only boxing matches he'd be looking at is one of the Paul brothers, in all honesty. He ain't fighting Ryan Garcia, and I don't know that he wants to be fighting Ryan Garcia. I don't know that he wants to be fighting Manny Pacquiao. Um, Floyd ain't giving him the fight. Uh, he, he's not fighting Canelo. Sure as hell ain't fighting Canelo. He's not fighting Triple G. Like, is that like is Triple G at a point in his career where he's now having to fight the Conor McGregor's of the world? I don't know. That's been a drastic fall as well um, in terms of careers ever since he lost to Canelo uh, in that fight. Um, but, yeah, Conor's taking himself out of the boxing fights. The only boxing match that would make sense now would be a Paul brother, but those are, I think they're just naturally bigger guys than Conor. So... Again, we have a situation there where I don't, but again, we'll see. I guess, you know, people can look big just because you work out, but then you get to, next to actual p other people at work and then you're like, yeah, they're not that big. Um, so I don't know. Um, uh, I I'll tell you this. I'm not fighting Conor McGregor anytime soon. All right. We're not, he, Conor McGregor's not at that point in his career where he's fighting podcasters like me. 
Um, uh, but I don't know that he'd be fighting Joe Rogan. I don't know that he's taking on Joe Rogan anytime soon. Uh, and I, you know, anyway, uh, who I think truly is, is probably who the baddest motherfucker belt is meant for. Um, Joe Rogan is bonafide badass. Um, no matter what you want to say about him, you know, for, you know, as a comedian or any of that, from a martial arts standpoint, um, Joe Rogan could fuck people up. Um, that, that's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts there. Joe Rogan is no bitch. Uh, I remember there was a, at a, they used to do the fighter Q and A's during fight week and somebody yelled out, they're like, Joe Rogan, you're a bitch. And Joe Rogan just spoke to my, he's like, I want to clarify. I am nobody's bitch. Um, he's not wrong. Uh, when you see the footage and bonafide and you hear people talk about Joe Rogan's kicking and striking and you see footage of him competing joe rogan has bona fide fucking skill and would fuck a person up let's not get carried away here uh so much so that that almost now presents itself as a money fight joe rogan versus conor mcgregor conor mcgregor could be at that point very soon another loss and now all of a sudden you're looking at the joe rogan fight um and in that case i probably i'm actually gonna go with joe rogan I think he's taking less brain, he's taking significantly less brain damage, um, probably hits significantly harder than Connor does, and would probably fuck Connor up. Uh, so, uh, but that could be where Connor's at in turn. If he loses another fight, if he sticks around and loses another fight, that would be his next big money fight. Uh, but anyway, in turn, Connor has put, put himself into this position. Connor McGregor put himself here. I, I want to give the credit that, yes, you know, maybe he did do everything right come fight week and come the fight preparation. And this was the best version of Conor McGregor that had stepped foot into the octagon, like his coach says. Dustin Poirier might have just, you know, it might have just been his night, which it could be. Difference is this isn't just any other fight with any other stakes. There were huge stakes involved for one man. And he came out on the wrong end of that. Um, for better or worse, however you feel about Conor McGregor, that is reality of the outcome of that fight. Um, but anyway, I think we've talked enough about, uh, that we could probably keep going. Uh, the other big thing I want to talk about that happened kind of over the weekend, uh, was a sports trade in, well, actually there's a few things that happened over the weekend. Uh, last but not least, Goat Tom Brady playing in his 10th Super Bowl. Um, now, here's the crazy stat about this. He's played in nearly 20% of all Super Bowls ever. Like, chew on that fact for a little bit. Something like he's played in, like, almost 50% of all the Super Bowls played since he's been in the league. True GOAT. True GOAT. Now, Patrick Mahomes is putting up some pretty impressive numbers himself. But again... It's all about sustainability. There was a time there where Russell Wilson, you know, had made a couple of runs. He'd played in back-to-back Super Bowls. Um, and then they lost on that back-to-back end, too. Um, it was, I mean, to Brady and the Patriots. So, something to think about there. However, um, Tom Brady's there again. Uh, and this time against Mahomes. So, it's gonna, it could be something where it's GOAT versus next GOAT. Um... But, regardless, Tom Brady made it. Tom Brady got to the Super Bowl again. Earned his right to play for Super Bowl, not one, not two, not three, but Super Bowl seven. 
seven. Like just like like let's just chew on some of these numbers. Tom Brady has beaten more different teams in the playoffs than any other quarterback has wins in the playoffs. So the legacy grows, and he beat Aaron Rodgers en route to doing it. That was again one of those key matchups career-wise. He's beaten Drew Brees and um, Aaron Rodgers en route to the Super Bowl. If he beats Mahomes in the final, you could make an argument that this is his greatest Super Bowl run. I don't know how you top this. Like, if you're Tom Brady, you just keep coming back. Like, it's just like, it goes to show, like, how much this guy loves playing football and winning. You know, he could easily, if he wins, he has all right to retire and be like, you know what? I came, I won another Super Bowl with a different team from the different conference like, what else is there left? Right? But I think he signed the two-year deal in Tampa. I could see him playing that out. He said he wants to play until he's 45. Who knows? But uh, right now, the football world is, is Tom Brady's oyster. So that's pretty incredible when you think about it. Patrick Mahomes playing in his second uh, Super Bowl, sec- his consecutive Super Bowl. They are the defending champions. So that'll be interesting there as well. The other big thing, hockey trade. Patrick Laine, a lot of talk now for over a season. Um, I remember famously saying this to someone I used to work with and him ridiculing the shit out of me for it. I had said, when it's all said and done, Kyle Connor is not only going to prove that he's a better player than Patrick Laine, but that he's also more valuable to the Jets than Patrick Laine. This guy's like, oh, nobody would agree with you. Nobody would fucking agree with you. Man, you're a lunatic. I wouldn't even say that. We I, we were talking in a, in a doctor's way. We ended up running into each other in the waiting room of a doctor's office. And this guy p- proceeds to berate me. Then he follows and I end up seeing him at a, a, you know, at a local poker night a, a few days later. And he's like, man, I felt so bad for you the other day when you'd said your thing about Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine. Like people were looking at you. He's like, when I was leaving the daughter's office, I had to be like, hey, man, you know what? Get, cut him some slack. We all say ridiculous things sometimes. Like, don't fucking apologize for me. Firstly, don't do that. Secondly, don't use my name out of turn. Thirdly, I stood by what I said. I fucking meant it back then, and I mean it now. Kyle Connor has shown his way. He's shown his value. He's shown his skill. He's shown his work ethic. He's shown his art. Patrick Laine, for better or worse, has shown kind of exactly what I said was going to happen. He's shown his worth to the Jets. Um, in a trade where I didn't even realize, ended up involving the second overall pick and the third overall pick from that draft year, have swapped positions. Um, so I'd, I'd have to look into that. I did not realize that Pierre-Luc Dubois was the third overall pick of that draft year. Um, maybe he was the third overall pick of his draft year. I don't know, but I'll look that up. Um, not right now. Uh, but Pierre-Luc Dubois, centerman, comes over to the Jets. Um, and Patrick Kleine goes over to Columbus with Jack Roslovic. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. Dubois essentially had stepped away, from, like had basically checked out of Columbus. He had said, I don't want, you know, there was the reports like where it's, I guess he had told his coach or whatever and said, look, I don't want to fucking be here. You know, I'm not here. I'm not doing this. Um, and Line seen like, I don't, there was talk that he was injured, maybe sick. Who knows over the last little while. He was a scratch for a few games. Um, there's been a lot of talk since his production's gone down, which actually I think in turn cost him on his contract uh, when him and uh, Connor had co- both come due. Connor got, I think, longer term. And I think the first number in the Connor deal was a seven. Um, whatever it was, Connor was the next number up. 
So if if if, if Linus ma- was making five point something AAV, Connor was making six point something. If Connor if if Linus was making six point something, Connor was making seven point something, which is what I predicted on this show, which is what I had said should happen. Go back, check out that episode. It's all here, and it's what played out. Um, Line A is a <coughs> pardon me is a um, it's going to be a free agent this year. Uh, uh, quite a few of the things I had gotten into it on Instagram, with some, uh, not gotten into, it, but discussed it on Instagram with some people was, um, look, you had to make the trade. You're getting a great set. You're getting a first line centerman in Dubois for Line who has shown a drastic drop in production. He's streaky at best. All of these things. Um, it's a good trade for the Jets. The only part for me that, and, and I commented actually on Instagram, I said it was a horrible trade, and I'll defend both sides. I will say this first and foremost: why I think, why I can see the argument that it's a good trade. The part about it that makes it a good trade is that Line a is probably going to want more money than he's going to get from the Jets, and arguably could walk for free. If that's the case, and you think he's going to walk, if if Pierre Luc Dubois is the best return you're going to get for in, in a Patrick Line trade, then yes, you have made the best trade you could, then it is a good trade. If this was the best return you were going to see, then yes, um, it was a good trade. Why I think it was a bad trade is two things. I do still firmly believe, and I haven't seen Dubois yet play with the Jets. I don't know if he's playing tonight or not. I think there's some quarantine-related things because of COVID. I'm not sure, but we'll see. Jets, are, I believe, are playing tonight. Um, if, um, or sorry, why I think it's a bad trade. Two things. Patrick Laine is still an all-world goal scorer. Um, his talent and skill, what he... what are elite at what he does best. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. The argument that the league has figured him out, which someone tried to use against, oh, the league's figured him out, he's one-trick pony. That was used against Alex Ovechkin. 700 gold later, Alex Ovechkin doesn't give a shit what you think and who you think has figured him out. Do I think Line ever gets 700 goals? No. But I think to say that oh the league is figuring him out is a bit of a is a is a bit of a premature and and, and mildly weak argument at the best of times. I think the Jets are a better team with him than without him. I think the other thing that happens, and having played hockey and and watched hockey as much as I have, and played hockey for as long as I did at various levels of competitiveness and recreation, the other thing that comes from sports. Truly elite players have the ability to make other players better. Guys like Alex Ovechkin and Patrick Laine that are elite level goal scorers make other players better by being around and doing what they do, which is being a threat. By being a threat, by being on the ice, you free up ice for other players to score. You free up ice for other players to have the opportunity to shine. And yes, you might not be putting up the numbers, but you're still providing a valuable service to your team that can't really be attained just by anybody. And yes, if that means Patrick Lyon just standing out on the power play and not taking the shots, but other people taking the shots, that in turn can be Patrick Laine's job. That can be his contribution. Just like, hey, you don't want me taking the shot. So you guys are covering me. You're taking away the passing lanes to me. But in turn, you're opening it up for him, him, or him. Same thing that Ovechkin does. 
Differences, yes, Ovechkin has a wider skill set than an Alex Ovechkin, than a Patrick Laine does, but doesn't take away from the fact that he is still an all-world elite-level goal scorer. And I do believe the Jets are a better team with Patrick Laine in the lineup than out of it. Having not seen what Dubois can do for the Jets, I think that's where, yes, I do believe as of today, the Jets are worse off having Laine and Roslevic out of the lineup than when they had them in the lineup. I don't know that Pierre-Luc Dubois will bring enough to the table as a threat, as a playmaker, as a centerman, all these things that people have used as arguments to make up that difference that Patrick Laine does just by being ready to take a fucking shot. That's reality, and that's the stri- that's where I'm going with my argument. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that's just my argument. Um, and that's why, and I respect other people who have had the argument. You know, one guy said, hey, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a first-line centerman, um, better overall player, better playmaker, all of these things. That That is all true. He was a, a first-line centerman. Not anymore. He's not taking Shifley's job. Okay, so let's 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 clarify that. Shifley, I'm pretty sure, still the number one centerman on the Winnipeg Jets. That's reality. Pierre-Luc Dubois might very well be one of the elite second-line centermen. He might prove to be. Who knows? But he is a great. He he is an upgrade at the number two center spot currently. Who, which might be what occupied by Stasny or Lowry. I'm not sure. I'd say Dubois. Yeah, comfortably is probably an upgrade there. Um, considering Brian Little still out and was the number two centerman, and I think Brian Little's not coming back. From what I gather, he's not coming back. Um, he had a fractured eardrum or something from a shot he took. Plus, he has some resounding concussion issues from this. So, I think Brian Little's playing career is over. Um, so yes, Pierre Luc Dubois does that. But does Pierre Luc Dubois' presence on the ice do what it does? For Patrick Laine being the ice. Does him being on the ice create as much opportunity, as much offensive threat? And does he make up on the... De- I mean, Patrick Laine doesn't have to make up on the defensive end. He wasn't uh, really anything on the defensive end. So forgetting that. So yes, he will add more on the defensive end than Laine did. But offensively, will that, coupled with his defensive abilities, make up for what you lose Laine? That's what remains to be seen. And that's what I'm excited to see. Maybe this is a, right, a step in the right direction. One thing I don't necessarily like, though, about athletes... And I've been there too. When I played hockey, I was there too on a couple of teams where when you've checked out of one team, it does kind of tarnish things a little bit. And I had had one where there was issues with the coach and whatnot. And, you know, maybe I could have handled things better. Maybe he could have handled it, whatever it was. But I knew for the rest of that season, I was checked out. And it was actually funny because I think that was probably statistically one of my best seasons, even though the coach demoted me to the backup position and I went undefeated. So I did what every backup's supposed to do, win every game they play, which is what I did. Um, I think I finished that season with six wins, um, zero losses and like five ties or something like that, whatever it was. But four of my six wins were shutouts. Um, including I ended up playing um, the gold medal game of a tournament and I got the shutout in that. Um, And I think we ended up winning that game 1-0 or even 2-0 maybe with a late goal. I'm not sure, but I got the shutout in that game too. Um, And I, I, it was, long story short, it was what it was. Uh, As the season wore down though, there was no mending that relationship between myself and my coach. Um, And it did kind of, I don't know if it necessarily affected my play or not, but it did affect my mindset a lot. Um, I can admit that now. 
um, that yes, it did affect how I viewed playing on that team, my commitment to that team and whatnot. I had already checked out. I was unhappy with the situation. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to play. Um, my mom had said, you have to finish out. You made a commitment. You finishing out this season. Um, I get it now, especially as a parent, I get it. Um, and whatever. And, you know, in hindsight, there's any, the only person I owe an apology to regarding that is, 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 is my mom and my family. That's it. They are the ones that shelled out the bill for me to play hockey. Um, that's it. I don't know, uh, in my opinion. Um, and, and there's a lot more to the story as to why I don't feel I owe an apology to anybody else other than them. But yes, there's still an apology to be owed to them. So I'm sorry to you guys, but that's reality in, in sports as a whole. I've always had trouble having been there um, with players. Once they check out once from a team, it's not uncommon to have them check out again. Um, and that's where I, could, I, I do see some potential and where I do see a diminished return right away and a diminished value right away in a player. It's different if like, hey, you know, Dubois was happy in Columbus, hadn't voiced his, you know, public voiced his desire to leave. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're getting Pierre-Luc Dubois for Patrick Lyons. It's like, oh, okay, sure. Do my opinions change on what they offer on the purely on the ice, taking that out of the picture? No, it doesn't really change things, but I'm a little happier about it. But in turn, we have a guy who had, quit, who had essentially quit on his team from what I understand. And I could be wrong, but that's what I understand it to be. He didn't want to be in Columbus anymore. From what I understand, Line didn't really want to be in Winnipeg anymore. Um, I didn't necessarily think we needed the sweetener on the deal. I don't know where the Roslovic component came in. Um, uh, other than I believe Jack Roslovic is actually from the Ohio Columbus, Ohio area. Um, so it was like a hometown thing. Maybe they did it to him as a favor. Maybe he was happy to go. Um, I know, I think he resigned right away. He signed a contract extension. Uh, so good for Jack Roslovic. I'm happy for him there. Um, Columbus, I mean, has been a playoff team. Uh, last couple of years, they famously beat Tampa Bay the other year. Uh, John Tortorella is a hell of a coach. Like him or hate him, John Tortorella is an elite level coach. And we'll probably get into that in another episode when I talk about the coaching situation in the NHL and where I view some of them and how I would rank them. But John Tortorella, spoiler alert, elite level coach. In that top echelon, for sure, in my opinion. Uh, but nonetheless, big trade in the NHL there. So yeah, we, so we've had a few big things this weekend in terms of sports. Um, it was an exciting weekend of sports. Uh, I'm so exciting. I almost just need Monday to recover, which I didn't. I ended up working out uh, extra hard. I don't know why, um, but in turn ended up hurting my shoulder. So uh, I've been kind of out of commission today, but uh, was happy to do this today. Happy to join you guys. Happy you guys all joined me. So uh, yes. Yeah, so thank you again for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Thank you for all the support. Um, and thank you for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram. If you have any desire to collaborate um, on something, please feel free to reach out through the website or through Instagram. Send me a DM at the dude Sunny D. Uh, thank you again so much. Uh, much love to all of you. Take care and um, I guess bye-bye for now.